I often say that addiction is the result of not knowing how to find safety inside of yourself. So you find it in something else and understandably you get hooked on it because you're desperate for safety. That's all you're guilty of. Any of you looking to learn more about supporting addiction recovery through a trauma-informed and somatic lens and a nutritional lens, please join me for my addiction circle. This is a bi-monthly, entirely free, virtual circle that I invite anyone here to come and join if they want more information. Addiction tends to be so steeped in shame, and I find that doing this work in a community of people helps to destigmatize that shame so you can see how not alone you are in the experience. So whether you are personally withdrawing, preventing, experiencing relapse, or you work with people who are actively addicted or in recovery, all are welcome. The next Addiction Circle will be held on Tuesday, May 7th at 5 p.m. EDT. This meeting is not recorded for the sake of anonymity. No registration is necessary. Just join through the link below. Today, I have a very special episode that aired on a different podcast, my friend Monica Guzman's podcast called A Braver Way. This podcast of hers is one of my favorite, I don't know if topics is the right word, service, I'm going to call it. It's a service because she brings together people on different sides of the political aisle and finds commonality, finds a way to disagree better, as she calls it, a way to have open-hearted conversations about the things we oppose in one another. And I have always seen America as this truly spiritual practice, this opportunity to rub elbows with the very people you oppose and who oppose you and to see the goodness in them, to see the relative in them, to see the value and the kindness and the human in them. It's a rare opportunity to live in a country where there's so much um, ethnic, political, spiritual, religious diversity in a small town, in a movie theater, in a school, uh, at the library, on the road, driving in traffic. There's so much difference and we can thrive if we learn how to build capacity for that difference. It's something I teach somatically and it's something Monica and a bunch of people who are part of Braver Angels uh, teach to organizations and people all over, all over the country. I was uh, honored, privileged to be invited to this incredible convention they did in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania last summer. And there were over 700 people there, half Republican, half Democrat. And I got to teach them about somatics and trauma and how they converge in politics and how we can do a practice called tending to ruptures, which is a somatic form of conflict resolution. And I did an amazing demo with a Republican and a Democrat. And within 10 minutes, these people were just loving each other after initially feeling really separate and, and worried to even face each other. So when we presence our humanity, a lot of connection comes through and division starts to dissolve, essentially. So I went on Monica's podcast, um, A Braver Way, and we talked about how to handle being triggered with politics, how to somatically work with your body, support it, even with just your back touching a chair like mine is right now, and how that helps build your capacity for difference and for really big conversations. Her podcast is amazing. I strongly recommend you check it out either right now or after this episode. The details to it are in this episode's details. You click the link. Uh, episode four is an incredible conversation she had with her parents who are both conservatives who voted for Trump. She's a liberal. Um, Latinas for Trump. You know, I have a, a Latino family who also voted for Trump. So Monica and I kind of came together around that. Uh, she has an incredible episode with these two people, a white man and a black man, who discovered that their ancestors had uh, a master and slave relationship which is incredible and how they navigated that together and how they use their love and their religion and their, and their kindness and curiosity to even build a deeper friendship after they had learned that this man's great, great, 
grandparents essentially enslaved this other man's ancestors. So incredible conversations I haven't heard anywhere else. And that's all I'm going to say. You go check it out for yourself. It's incredible. It's an invitation. It's a service in a divided country to learn how to see the human in the other side. But for now, I want to share this episode with you because it teaches you how to handle, how to respond, how to hold those big sensations that emerge when you're having a controversial conversation. Literally, your agency of your own consciousness to connect, to be curious, to ask questions goes offline on purpose and the body, the animal body takes over and goes into a pure reflexive strategy. You have no choice when that thing is taken over. And so most people, especially if you think of like activists or people that are yelling at each other on different sides of the, the aisle, they are in an active, let's say, fight response, like when they're mm. arguing versus asking questions and pausing and reflecting. Mm, yeah. And I guess we all, we all spend time in, in those all. responses. <laughs> all of us. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast, where we explore life through the lens of somatics. I'm Luis Mojica a somatic educator who teaches people how to find safety in themselves. Your turn to learn begins now. Hi, Luis. So let, let's start with this. You're a somatic therapist. So for people who have never heard that term before, what does that mean? It means that you are trained to sit with people one-on-one -on -one or in a group space, much like a psychotherapist would. But instead of being trained through DSM to diagnose them, you're trained to see how their body stores traumatic events from their past. So you can help them actually access where that lives and even teach them the roots of some of their behaviors. Mm, okay. And I know that you focus also on trauma, that you, mm -hmm. you, you help lots of people work through trauma. How, how, what's the trauma body connection there? Mm -hmm. The trauma body connection is is really biology. We can think of, I think, in maybe a decade or longer ago, we thought trauma was a mental experience. Like when you think someone's traumatized, you think of like a mental illness is how we used to associate it. But trauma is a biological response to an experience. So if a big experience occurs, let's call it the stimulus. The body has a response to every stimulus that seems possibly threatening. And that response is called the trauma response. And it literally means you make a bunch of adrenaline, your blood pressure rises, your blood vessels constrict, and you get a, a rush of neurotransmission through your nervous system. And the, the whole purpose of this, it's like a propellant. It forces you to go into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn so you can survive a situation. So your mind shuts off, body takes over. So mm. trauma responses happen like all day long. The people I tend to work with, and when you think of someone going to therapy, is someone who's traumatized, where the response doesn't turn off. It's meant to be short term until you're, let's say, like a bear is chasing you and you freeze and the bear runs by you because it doesn't see you frozen against the tree and the bear is long gone and oh, you take a breath mm. and you're back, you're back in your body. So the trauma response, let's say it was on for like 15, 20 minutes, just in this example. Right. When you're traumatized, it just stays on. The situation's over, but you stay braced for decades. Decades. Okay, decades. real quick, to go back to something you said, you said fight, fl flight, freeze, which I think many people can more or less know. And you said fawn. Fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. What is mm -hmm. fawn? Fawning is a people-pleasing mechanism. So it's actually a reflexive charm or a reflexive pleasing strategy that's used when the other person has some kind of control over your well-being. Um, mm -hmm. The best example of this is when someone gets hijacked by somebody or abducted or held hostage. And we hear those, those stories where I became friends with my kidnapper mm -hmm. and then they let me go to the store one day to get groceries and that's when I ran and called for help. So that's like an extreme example of why fawning exists. Mm -hmm. uh, a simple one is like a dog is growling at you, like it's going to bite you and you're going, nice doggy, nice doggy. Mm -hmm. That's a fawn. You're trying to relax the nervous system of the potential predator so you can escape. Mm -hmm. Fawning is the most used strategy in society and it ends up becoming oh. the way we actually relate and connect. So when you hear like politically performative allyship, that's a fawning mechanism where you're reflexively oh, wow. agreeing with someone just to not be canceled, to belong. Oh to my be gosh. <laughs> that's amazing. It's amazing. Okay. It's amazing. I know. <laughs> yes. Perfect segue. Cause I was going to ask you that, you know, you, you do yeah. trauma, you do somatic therapy and where do you see 
all of this in our political disagreements. I, it's it's literally the reason why there's political disagreements. Um, mm -hmm. I, I shouldn't say disagreements. It's a reason why there's polarity, right? Because you can have disagreement without polarity. Disagreement can be incredibly connecting. But because th if there isn't curiosity with disagreement, there's defense and there's fear. And defense and fear are a big physiology, a big response that comes from traumatized systems. So the way that looks in politics is what you disagree with me on makes you a threat to me. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm in a trauma response with you. I can't connect or be curious. I'm either fighting, flighting, freezing, or fawning. Ah, uh, but connection is actually unavailable as long as completely I'm in those and it's meant to be the the body literally your agency of your own consciousness to connect to be curious to ask questions goes offline on purpose and the body the animal body takes over and goes into a pure reflexive strategy you have no choice when that thing is taken over and so most people especially if you think of like activists or people that are yelling at each other on different sides of the, the aisle they are in an active let's say fight response like when they're mm. arguing versus asking questions and pausing and reflecting mm, yeah and i guess we all we all spend time in, in those all. responses <laughs> all of us all of us no kidding so at the braver angels convention you shared something you observed in your practice back around 2017, where you saw, I think you said it was a, a woman who came in to your office and mentioned Trump in, in this trauma connected way. Can you mm -hmm. tell us about that and what you observed after that? Yeah. So Trump had won, you know, the election and this woman came into my office the next day and was like destroyed. She couldn't <laughs> sleep. She was crying. She was shaking. She just felt like utter fear and panic. And as we sat with it somatically, all this memory of all these memories and these images and these sensations of her abusive yeah. father were coming up. So, so wait, I'm going to stop mm -hmm. you right there just yeah. to explain what you mean when we sat with it somatically. Good question. So sitting with it somatically for everyone listening, I'll say it in the simplest context. It literally means where do you feel that in your body? Okay. So, when, so let's say she walks in the room and I'm intellectually with her. It's like talk therapy or it's coaching. It's more cognitive. We might try to figure out the meaning. What does it mean to you that he was elected? Or what are your thoughts about him? Or how can we create a strategy to, you know, cope with this these next four years? Somatically means, okay, when you think of Trump being president, what happens in your body? Mm. And in this case, she said, I can't breathe, right? My, my chest is so constricted, I can't even get a deep breath. Like I was up all night hyperventilating. And we saw with that, and one of my lead questions with people with overcouplings, which I'll talk about in a bit, it, and I'll just call them associations for now, or body memories, yeah. is where have you felt that kind of hyperventilating before? Like, where in your history was this a pattern? And it was with this person's abusive father. Yeah. And so this is how that body as a child would react to abuse yeah. in the household. So Trump reminded her of her abusive father. Now, that was the first moment I'm like, oh, interesting. I never had seen in my practice that direct connection between somatics, trauma, and politics. But mm. what was profound was 20 more people that same week had the same experience with Trump. Wow. And it was mostly women because Wait, my that practice, same week. That, that, that week. Same that's week. what I was like. She left my Goodness. office. I remember thinking like, okay. And I wrote some notes. Next person came in, same thing. Next person came in, same men and women. It was amazing. And, wow. and it was every single person. It took them back to either an abusive father or an abusive mm. boyfriend, some memory of like an oppressive male figure. Oh, that's amazing. And we should note, you live in New York. You had I live in New York. a, a bluer this was area. In Woods, Woodstock, New York, very blue, very liberal. Very blue area. Right, right. Um, wow. So uh, you teach people something that sounds pretty radical. Uh, you teach them how to find safety inside themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to, I want to, uh, zoom in on the word safety because mm -hmm. with things like safe spaces and safety you know that that in and of itself can become a charged word across our divide what do you mean by safety what do you mean by safety you teach people how to find safety within themselves what 
What do you mean yes, by safety? I love the ask the question because <laughs> if we think about safety, just like you said, I'm not talking about safe spaces. I'm not talking about mm -hmm. safe words. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about the biology of safety. So earlier when I said trauma has a biology, the stimulus, the event, the trauma response, and then the body regulates, we call it. So that, that bear ran past you. It's long gone. You look around. There's no bear anywhere. Oh, you take a breath, your shoulders relax, you come back to yourself. That's the biology of safety. It's less adrenaline, your blood pressure goes down, your neurotransmitters, there's less of them, so your nervous system's slowing down so it can be clear. So by safety is a biology inside of you. Safety is actually a result of your body's perception of non-threat. So that's actually what I'm talking about when I say I'm teaching you how to find safety in yourself. Okay. It's a biology of non-threat. So you look around, everyone listening can do this. You can look around the room you're in right now. And most people listening to this are not in a threatening situation. Stressful, maybe. Annoying, maybe. Beautiful, maybe. But not threatening to your life in this moment. Yet, most bodies are feeling as if they're in a threatening situation. They're most bodies, most by their jaws are clenched. Their shoulders are lifted up. They're, they're coping with food or they're watching a lot of TV to get by. They're doing drugs. Their bodies are in that. What I said earlier, that stuck state of trauma response. Mm -hmm. So regardless of where they are in their life, safety or threat, the body's still acting as if there's threat. Mm -hmm. So finding safety in yourself means learning how to help your body perceive that you're okay in this moment so it can biologically regulate and you can have a little mm. break from all that adrenaline okay so the question i want to ask is when i think to myself you can learn to find safety within yourself and i bring it into the realm of politics when something we hear about some issue that really matters to us someone who really disagrees with us and we're so disappointed brings up that threat response and, and the question I want to ask is, how is that possible hmm. to find safety within yourself when, when there's these giant issues and they matter so much hmm. and you care deeply about them? They, they occupy you hmm. and that feels correct. So, so that just go where you'll go on that question because it's a big one. But how do you know it's even possible to find this kind of security safety? within yourself, no matter what's going on out there. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. What? Yeah, I mean, like... it started with me. It started with me finding, discovering this in my own body and thinking, I really need to teach other people this is possible. And then from a sense of curiosity and a, and a desire to serve, seeing other people do it in the most powerful situations. I've worked with people in the Middle East that are dealing with war. I've worked with people who are living in abusive relationships and houses like, you know, uh, of environments of abuse, people that work two or three jobs and have like zero time to rest or recuperate situations that seem impossible, children dying, you know, their children dying and they can find safety in themselves. Yeah. And so I'm going to explain this a bit. There's this, um, thing that happens with all of us, you know, we call it, we call it, talk about empathy. Empathy is somatic. It's biological. So when I look at you and let's say I'll use the political ex example, you're saying something to me that I like vehemently disagree with, right? Mm -hmm. That feels like a threat to my system. Like you believe in something that feels oppressive to me, right? So I'm seeing you, I'm hearing that that rush comes up. Just like you said, the rush is coming up because I'm attuning to you. My body is mirroring your stance about what you believe in, and I'm attaching my safety to you, which is why we get desperate to change the mind of the person we're in front of. Wait, Be so so slow down. Mm -hmm. attaching my safety to you, does that mean I'm looking to you and what you do and what you say for my sense of safety? Exactly. Like if you believe in this and I believe in this, I right. need to change your mind because I can't rest till I know you agree with me. That's me finding safety in you. I'm looking toward you as once you change, I will finally relax. Mm -hmm. Finding safety myself in that same experience would be, okay, there you, there's Moni, just believing what she believes. Here's me believing what I believe. What's actually happening in the room right now? Nothing. Just yeah. two people having different beliefs. Yeah. What is bringing up in me comes from my past. And it comes from what my body's expecting in the future. And that feels mm -hmm. like threat, right? Mm -hmm. Like the body has a threat response. 
and uncon- it's all unconsciously happening. So I attach it to you. The stress that comes up, I say, is because of you. Mm. When what you're saying is reminding my body of past stress, right? Mm-hmm. Past situations. Mm-hmm. So having that awareness somatically, like getting to feel the difference of, oh, Moni's belief is triggering something I've once experienced in mm-hmm. my body, and I attach it to her. When I can realize that's in my body, then I also realize and the safety is also in my body. You didn't Whoa, create the stress. Okay. You don't create the safety. My relationship to myself does either of those. Oof. I mean, that, yeah, that sounds like a journey it to, get, is. to get it through is. that and to experience. So, <laughs> yes. and, and I, and I want to hit pause on another word. You, you did mention the word triggered. Uh, yeah. And that's another word that can have partisan connotations, you know, mm-hmm. trigger warnings and whatnot. When you say trigger, what, what does that word mean? It means two things to me. So one thing it means just to respect like the lineage of the word is trigger often means um, like, let's say someone who came back from war combat and they have PTSD and a very loud horn or sound or, or explode like, like a, a broken glass or something. They experience this big sound. They're out to dinner with their family and their whole body takes them back to combat. So they're not even there. They're in a fugue. That's like when we think of the origin of the word trigger, that's the origin of it. So I want to respect that because a lot of times we use trigger like when someone annoys us. Oh, you triggered me when you chew with your mouth open. It's like, not really. It's a little different than that. (laughs) But I also, I'll play with that, that use too, because trigger can also just simply mean reminded, you know, when I walk into the room and I don't even know who you are, but I'm triggered by you. Mm-hmm. That tells me that something about you, there's an unconscious bias or memory in my body about you, your face, what you're wearing, what you're mm-hmm. saying. It opens something up in me that I have yet to mm-hmm. even maybe know is there. Even though you don't know me, it has even, nothing to do with who I am because you don't know me. So it can't possibly that's come right. from me. And that's how I know in my body triggers are reminders. Triggers aren't proof that you're wrong or you're scary or bad or evil. We get triggers and intuition very mistaken. Trigger means you remind me of something. My body Mm -hmm. attaches a meaning to you before I even know who you are. Right. And that has a biology. But if I, right. And if I look to, for safety within you, I'm just going to try to change you. You are my problem and you will be my solution. But finding safety within myself will mean I have to try something else. That's exactly right. Right. So from here at the, at the convention, you did a session that was about how to handle being triggered politically. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we're, we're going to dive into that, what came up from that, because it was fascinating and some of the strategies you talked about. Um, but first, just to put listeners into this space, I want to invite our listeners, you know, you're thinking about being triggered. You're hearing stories about other people maybe being triggered. I'm going to give examples just of words, because sometimes in our divided world, uh, just certain words, depending on our politics, can already trigger us. Who knows if these will trigger you or not? I don't know. But um, Luis, what would you invite people to do as I say these loaded words for reds and loaded words for blues? Yeah, the first thing I'd love everyone to do before she even says this, whether it's your hand or a pillow, put something over your belly. This is going to actually help you all experience what it is I'm even talking about here. Put your hand over your belly and give it a little pressure and take a breath there just so you can feel your body. Because when you hear these words, it's amazing. Even just thinking about hearing the words, some of you may already feel that build up, but just notice where in my body do I feel pressure? Where do I feel constriction? Where do I feel tension? As Moni says those, that's mm-hmm. the, the somatics of a trigger. So go, go for it. Okay. So speaking to my blues, anyone who leans liberal, um, some of these words may, may feel uncomfortable to you. Some may not. Um, imagine seeing a blue lives matter flag. Imagine running into a MAGA hat, someone who's wearing a MAGA hat. Imagine hearing the term reverse racism in an argument generously or the term illegals to describe immigrants or imagine hearing someone say climate change is a hoax and to my reds to my folks leaning conservative some of you may or may not have a reaction to these words the words white privilege white supremacy as a way of thinking about our world The idea that people need safe spaces 
and trigger warnings. When you hear cheers for Planned Parenthood, or when you get asked, what are your pronouns? Yeah, so everyone just notice, take a pause, really notice. And the places to look for right away, look at your solar plexus, so right above your belly button. That's where a lot of us will feel like a gripping sensation. You might feel pressure in your chest, like, ooh, something got hard to breathe. Notice your shoulders, are your shoulders coming up to your ears? Are they relaxed? What's your jaw doing? Even your forehead, your eyebrows, it's tense there, is it relaxed? Like these places, this kind of core, and there, it could be your toes, your knees, it could be anywhere else, but these places are where we tend to viscerally feel that pressure that comes up when we have a trigger response. And what do we do once we notice them? Yeah, so this is the fun part, and this is the journey you're talking about. So the first thing I wanna say is everyone listening, don't automatically try to believe me because that will make you either argue with me or follow me instead of your own feeling. Really be curious if you want to do this with us. Think of one of those words Moni just brought in and go into your body and just put your hand wherever you feel that tension I was telling you about. Wherever you feel that tension I was describing, put your hand there. And if it's in many places, just pick one. And the first thing you want to do is just ask yourself, what does this feeling remind me of? Not what does the word remind you of, what does the feeling remind you of? Where have you felt this before? And your body will do a few things. Sometimes your body will start relaxing just with your hand there. Some of you might notice just the touch feels really good. Other, others will notice images, like actual memories will emerge that make no sense, that, that no one understands. Why is this emerging from Blue Lives Matter, right? Some of you will feel an emotion coming up really strongly. Some of you will feel a movement, like, I want to get out of here. Or I just want to go eat something. Or, I just want to not even think about this. So I just want everyone to notice what comes up when they sit with a sensation, especially with the question, where have I felt this before? Mm. The where have I felt this before part, this is what I teach so many people, which is a somatic term called overcoupling. Overcoupling, if we think of Pavlov's dog, right? The man that created an association with a bell and eating with his dog, right? He'd ring the bell, feed the dog. After so many times, he could ring the bell, the dog would salivate without food. Its body overcoupled the bell with digestion. Mm. So the body had a somatic response to the bell, right? This is what happens with overcouplings. So to use those clients I was talking about, they experienced growing up some kind of oppression, some kind of abuse, some kind of pain that resulted from an older male figure in their life. And here was this older male figure that represented that for a lot of people that represented a sense of oppression, pain, abuse. For others, represented a sense of safety and Absolutely. ease and clarity and calm. So this is why it's not about the person himself, it's what did it bring up in your bodies? When clients made it about Trump, they spiraled. When they realized what Trump was reminding their body of, they actually started resolving things they didn't even know they were carrying around from childhood. And I'm talking about 60, 70 year olds, not just 30 wow. year olds. So it's, a, it's an understanding of the sensation of the trigger and the lineage of the trigger. Where does it take you to in your own life? And that's what's getting projected often onto these things that trigger us. Yeah. And then when we understand that, that's where the safety in yourself starts getting created. Because when I witness that, let's say there's my father experience coming up with me when I think of Trump, not for me, but my clients, <laughs> and they're with that. And they start noticing, oh, that's what needs my attention. It's not about Trump or the mm. next person that reminds me of it. It's this thing in me needs my attention. Mm. Then you start being your direct source of power and agency to resolve that rather than I need everyone to disagree with Trump so I feel safe in this house, so I feel safe in the school, mm. so I feel safe in the streets. Mm -hmm. That's... Ah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what, what listeners are, are thinking as they, as they hear that. I know it's a... It's a big set of ideas for a lot of people. It certainly was for me when I first encountered some of this, you know. Um, yeah, to go into the body instead of the mind even feels... That's right. ...so like the wrong place. Mm -hmm. Like, wait a minute, is this all about thoughts and beliefs and ideas? What do you mean? That's How could right. it be about the body, right? But to notice, to so, so, so break it down into steps then. You hear something, you get triggered. Step one if you want to try to stay with it and find safety 
in yourself. Step mm-hmm. one would be feel it in your body. Step one is to feel in your body. And there's a reason, very important reason. If you aren't creating a practice to consciously feel where the triggers happening in you, you will dissociate dissociation, easy phrase zoning out. Okay. Mm -hmm. Dissociation is when you leave your body. So you're unable to feel and be with your body. You're unable to be conscious. Mm -hmm. Dissociation is when our trauma responses take over. So if, if you say something that triggers me and I don't have a practice of being like, Ooh, there it is in my belly. Let me, let me pause and take a breath before I even respond. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen. That feeling in my belly is going to be the response, not my mm-hmm. conscious mind. So when you say like thoughts, beliefs, the mind that needs to be there as well, but the body in this interesting way actually takes over and gets in a lot of trouble because it has this animal reflex of, I need to yell at you. I need to run away from you, or I need to appease you. Or if we mm-hmm. think of freeze, I need to just shut down, not take any of this in. But when you can feel it in your belly, you witness it and you realize, oh, I can be with that. Let me feel that. Eventually it settles for some people very quickly. Others it takes a couple, sometimes a couple of days, even once it settles, then you have the clarity to consider the other person to respond, to have even your boundaries, your ideas expressed. Yeah. So the first step is you have to know how to feel it. Right. Hey, my friends, I created a space that is affordable, accessible, and anyone is allowed to join anytime. And it's called the library membership. The library membership is an online private platform that hosts dozens of my webinars, my somatic practices, private mini lectures, and movement practices. There's also a monthly sound healing, and you'll be invited to a weekly Tuesday live mini practice with me and other participants. You'll also be invited to be a live audience member in our monthly HLN team podcast recordings where you'll take place in the Q&A that happens off-air after the episode is filmed. For more information on this membership, click on the link below or go to holisticlifenavigation.com and click on membership and then library. You can join right now and you can cancel or pause your subscription at any time. I look forward to seeing you in there. So the session that you did at Braver Angels the main title was you are not responsible for my reactions. And, um, I remember, you know, yes, let's be provocative, <laughs> but that, that is, tell us why you think that's true. You know, this yeah. sense of you are not responsible for my reactions. Wait a minute, but they're making me mad. They're that's saying right. this thing that is wrong and that I need to change. Like, how could we not think that way? You are not responsible for my reaction. How do you, what makes you think that's true? So what makes me experience that is true is there's someone's action and then there's my reaction. And those are two completely different things. Your action is a hundred percent yours. Like I'm not responsible for what you say or do to me. Okay. What comes up in my body, I'm responsible for what that just means to me is my ability to respond to it. So when we're talking about me in this, you know, this example, I get triggered by you, which I haven't, haven't yet in our friendship, mm-hmm. but maybe it will happen. But <laughs> yeah. I'm open to it, but I get triggered by you and I feel that feeling in my stomach, right? That's coming up in me that lives in me now. Even if it's something you said horribly to me, you're, that's yours. You're accountable to what you said to me, where that goes and where that comes up in me is in me. And now how I know this is I, you, we had talked about this in the beginning. I grew up being severely bullied for years and years and years through middle grade school, middle school, high school. So I had such a conflict with people. I didn't feel safe with people. So for me to feel when I was around certain people that I wasn't able to be myself, I wasn't able to speak to them. I wasn't able to be seen. It was this thing in me where I thought it was up to them. Like they had to like me before I could be happy, before I could be myself, before I could be valid. I lived the way for a long time until I found this work. And then, then after I would do these practices, I would find myself going into the rooms with these same people and not having an activated response, seeing them on the streets, running into certain family members that were hard for me to be with. And my body was completely relaxed around them. Mm. And so this, this idea I had before, which was you are the cause of my stress. 
I have to stay away from you. I can't think about you. I don't want to say your name turned into, oh, you remind my body of stress. And when I'm with my own stress, I can be around you and nothing even comes up. Mm. So I felt the transformation in me where I had a different feeling in my body around the same people that before I thought I had no control or power over how I felt. And how does that change? How did that change your ability to connect with those people, get curious about them? Did you see them completely differently? Completely differently. Because what I was, and this was part of what I taught at Braver Angels, um, that one of my mentors, Bill Riddick, who does incredible work with, with conflict resolution, um, he taught me that everyone's belief is sacred to them. And that's where my curiosity came through. Because even when I dealt with bullying and a lot of pain from people, I always had a wonder in my mind, like, what happened to them? Like, what, what made them so disconnected from their own heart and their own empathy? They could just mm. be so cruel to somebody over and over again and not care. Mm. So once I didn't have the trigger around them, like once I felt my body's totally fine, even if you say something rude, right? Then I, I could see them as this person that was actually having endless reactions based on what happened to them. It didn't justify, you know, what they did to me. It didn't make me want to like have them over for dinner, but this whole story about them left my mind. They weren't these horrible, evil people. They were also someone in their own trauma response. And it just gave me much more compassion for, for everybody, you know, and, and politically that's one of my prayers is we could learn what happened to you that made you vehemently believe this? And why does this belief feel safe for you and it doesn't for me? Why does this belief feel safe for you and it doesn't for me? That's a yeah. pretty profound question. That's what I wish we were talking about in debates. Huh. Instead of you're wrong, I'm right. Like, well, why does it feel safe for you and why does it scare me? Then we get to the bottom of it. Right, because then you can exchange all kinds of really interesting, different so experiences, much. insights. But, but you said something the the idea that whatever you believe is sacred to you and i somehow accept that mm -hmm. i think is a really hard one to swallow for a lot of folks it is it's really hard because people over couple like acceptance with permitting or like acceptance with being on the same mm -hmm. side of something mm -hmm. whereas acceptance for me is literally my body's not constricting against it mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not fighting with it i'm not pushing it away i'm like oh mm -hmm. there it is i accept that that's your reality yeah. And I'm embodied to my own. Like we can be in the same room. We can be in the same yeah. marriage. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I was just thinking about uh, on an earlier episode, um, folks heard from my mom and my mom and I disagree on abortion policy and she's pro-life and I'm pro-choice. And she told a story about when I was a teenager and she heard from me for the first time in real clear terms that I'm not pro-life. I think abortion should be legal. And she talked about how it absolutely broke her heart. This was something mm. we hadn't really talked about much before. And and how for a long time she carried that in her, that my own daughter believes this thing that is so wrong. Mm -hmm. And and what am I going to do? What can I do? But but she talked about, I, I'm trying to remember the words she said. She She said, you know, that after a while she became okay with it. And she said, it's not that I became okay. I never became okay. But I got used to it, is mm. how she put it. And so what you're saying is reminding me somehow of that process. She and I can talk about abortion all day long. Mm. And it, I think in her heart, very much, she gets probably, I, I should ask her whether she would call it being triggered, but mm -hmm. she clear, I'm, and, I, and, I, and I buy her, right? But, but somehow <laughs> we're able to yeah. stay in it and, and yeah, get curious about the why and how is this safe for you and not safe for me? It's, it's a really interesting way in. That's why I love calling it sacred because it's not, I'm not asking anyone to find a sacred for them, but if we just have this practice of, oh, like I'm pro-life, you're pro-choice. Mm -hmm. And someone says, you know, I believe in this, I believe in abortion. Like they say the words, I believe in abortion. Mm -hmm. And someone who doesn't, imagine if the first thing we thought would, hmm, okay, their belief in abortion is sacred to them. It's sacred. How do I treat something that's sacred to somebody? Mm. It's very different from like, how do I treat an opinion? How do I treat an ideology? How do I treat a truth or a false? It's like, mm -hmm. it's sacred to them. So I think when we, we show up to something that's sacred for someone, we get curious, we get gentle, we get kind, we have compassion. We're like that means a lot to you. Teach me this meaning, teach me about this. Not because yeah. I'm going to believe it, but I just want to know why you do. Yeah. So. When am I responsible for your reactions? 
you know, let, let's complicate this idea a bit, right? <laughs> let's complicate it. Because, <laughs> let's complicate it. Because, or, yeah, like, when when does that actually not hold? You are not responsible for my reactions. Um, I, like, it, and I'm I can think of an example, my, but I... Give me, yeah. give, I would love an example. Okay, so... That's going to help a lot. I, I'm thinking about my parents again, and one of the things I've realized in a lifetime with them is that the more conflict we engage in, the more that we learn what each other's buttons are. The more that we learn what triggers each other. And so then we have a choice. We can push those buttons intentionally because we are suddenly in a mode where we want to defeat or humiliate. Mm -hmm. That feels like if I take the action of I know that button and I'm going to push that button, that feels mean. So I'm going to ask you, this is great. Let's, let's go along with that. Let's say like, that's, it feels, you said it feels mean. Mm -hmm. Okay. Does the button feel mean or does you pushing it feel mean? Which one? Pushing mean? it, me pushing it feel right. mean. Your because I know that's mean. the button. That's I know right. that's the button. But if that's I... your action that feels mean. Okay. And button. that's an interesting distinction. That's an interesting Big distinction. Because okay. this is a common question. So I love that okay. you bring that. And someone asked this in the breakout. It was brilliant. They said, well, if you know that using this term or saying this thing, like just wrecks someone's day yeah. and I use it, aren't I responsible for that reaction? And I would still say, no, I would say okay. you're still, you're responsible for knowing that button exists and pushing it. That's what you're responsible for. Oh, I see. So you're. So you're responsible for something. Oh, it's yes. just not the reaction. <laughs> no. Okay. Now I see what you're saying. You're, you're, you're not still responsible in accountability. For there is you're a still 100%. a need for repair. There's okay. e you get greater accountability and you get faster mm -hmm. repair when you do this work this way. Because mm -hmm. if I'm responsible for your button, that's a form of control. I can never do anything about your button. So guess what happens when I'm responsible for your reaction? I lose all the accountability for my action. I don't oh, learn why okay. I did it. I don't learn why I pushed it knowing it was going to hurt you. I don't know what it feels like in me before that takes over. I lose all that information that would actually prevent me from being disrespectful right. again. Cause I'm just focused on the reflexive. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. Instead of forget, I'm sorry. What about why did I do that? Why did I do that? Right. That's Getting what curious I about learn. yourself. Like it's, it's the right. self inquiry, right? Like self inquiry, we, because if I'm not, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to say so much of political disagreement and crossing divides is really other focused. You know, what do you say to yes, the other person? What do you right. ask the other person? How do you listen to the other person? And more rarely do we talk about, wait a second, how do you listen to yourself? That's <laughs> you know, what, right. What do you, how do you communicate with yourself? I've often thought that when you have a conversation, you're really having two. You're having the conversation with the other person, but there's always a dialogue going on within yourself that you often ignore and you that's just react. That's exactly right. That's exactly. And what, and that's a beautiful ex uh, expression because in every relationship, what's really happening is that other person is taking you to places inside of yourself and you're mm. attaching it to them. And, and a, a huge example of that is codependency. You, you hear it in popular music, you hear it in popular conversations and relationship ideas. You are my everything. I couldn't mm -hmm. live without you. So mm -hmm. all the goodness I feel in my body when I'm around you, I 100% give you responsibility over, which means I'm nothing without you. I don't know how to be without you. That's not very sustainable. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's a burden to the other. Like, you better not do yeah. anything or die or leave because I'm going to fall apart. Whereas the reality is everything I feel in my body with you is mine to be with. Wow. And that gives me direct, and it's a very spiritual and even like for some lineages, religious. Like when you think of the sacred heart, like Jesus pointing into the heart, it's this reminder that like God, universe, source is right in there. It's not in telling the other what to do. It's in that self-relationship that you're, you're speaking to. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about another, I mean, important distinction that comes up, I think, a lot with this is the difference between being harmed and being triggered. Um, I, I hear, I hear about, you know, a lot of questions, people going, you know, what do you, what do you do when people have ideas that are, that are being harmed, that are harmful. And so you have to engage with ideas or even the conversation, if you feel disrespected or dehumanized to a certain degree, you're, you're, are you being harmed? Aren't mm -hmm. you being harmed? So how do you know the difference between I'm just afraid of harm? I'm reminded of harm. Versus, no, 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 right now in this moment, 
sure, they're not hitting me with sticks, but they are harming me. Mm. Such that we need a whole other podcast. We probably do. I don't know if you can sum this one up, but (laughs) I'm going to try. But for for, for the listener having that that thought, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. Evan and I had a six-hour conversation about this the whole ride home, by the way. I believe it. I believe <laughs> it. From Braver Angels. Oh, yes, yes, because we were just like, okay, how can we define harm? Let's do this. Let's figure it out. Um, so you said something really important. You said reminded of harm. That's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to underline that. That's one part of this conversation okay. is when you say something, it, like, so Trump was elected. He was not even in office yet. And these bodies of my clients were reminded of harm. No harm was done, but mm. they felt pain in their body. So mm. most of the time when we are triggered or having a conflict with somebody, it either reminds us of something we've experienced and, or because of that experience, we expect a really painful result. Now, when you're reminded of a painful experience or you're expecting a painful result, guess what happens? That gets somatically experienced. That becomes a biology. It hurts. So you are literally in pain. And this is like we were saying earlier about, are you responsible for the button or are you responsible for pushing it? But the pain is real either way. The pain is real. The pain is there. The pain. And that's, and maybe we can talk for a minute about the demo I did, but the pain is real. Yes. I'd like to hear that. But the, the, the whole thing is if you're calling, if I'm calling my stress and pain in my body harm, I'm attaching an action onto you. You this harmed where, me. That's right. And this is where it gets dicey for me. Because uh, when I think of the people I've worked with, the situations I've gone through, my like my experience of harm is when someone actually impinges on my agency. Like I, I'm more, when I think of harm, I think of, and there's so many levels to this. There's parents to children. Like if you tell a child every day growing up that they are worthless, right? We can call that a form of harm because this child has no agency. They're looking to these two people. It's all they have in the world. If I'm 30 years old and my best friend says like, Louis Snowy, you suck. Your music is worthless. Hmm. I don't know if I personally wouldn't call that harm. I call it rude. I would call it painful. I wouldn't call it. It doesn't impinge on my agency. So for me, again, just somatically, when something impinged on someone's agency, I see it as harm. That's, that's where I can call it that. When I feel pain because of what you said, I feel pain. I wouldn't say you harmed me. I said what you said to me brought me p- to pain inside of my body. I'm going to be what with that. What you said about. to me brought me to pain. Not yes. you brought me to pain. You, that's, that's right. That's a, that's a big, that's a big it's jump huge. for some folks. It's, a it's big huge because when you say to someone, you harmed me. Most yeah. people don't have the capacity to even sit with the idea of harming someone. So you're not really going to get much out of that by pointing the finger at you harmed me. And then let's say you do, let's say I look at you like, Mona, you harmed me when you said that I, I'm harmed now. Like your fawning mechanism is going to kick in really quickly. I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh. I apologize a hundred percent for you because all I, I want to do, do that. All I want to do is I have, repair what's been broken. That's all I, I have 20 do. friends with beards, Louise, I promise. You know, we get into this place of like trying to prove I'm not right. a horrible person. I'm, I'm not, not a bigot. A I don't hate I'm you. Not a bad exactly. But yeah. that's actually not a relationship or, or a repair. That's me performing connection to soothe you, to tamp wow. you down. That's so, not connecting. That's performing. It's a, a it's a it's exactly. It's an imitation, oh and fawning is all about imitating connection to soothe wow. the other person's body. Wow. So, uh, what you said this earlier about triggers, and what I was hearing was when you have a really deep relationship with someone, it's the kind where you're open to getting triggered. I don't want you to tiptoe around me because I trust you. I trust your beliefs are sacred. And I'm willing to hold what opens up in me and be responsible for them. And you're willing mm. to hold your your actions and be responsible for them. That's mm. the kind of relationship I feel actually safe in rather mm. than someone like skirting around me because they don't want to say the wrong thing. That doesn't feel right. safe to me. That feels performative and it feels tense. Yeah. Well, something that's coming up for me as I hear all this is it, it almost feels like if I'm going to talk to someone whose ideas or anything about them might trigger me politically, then, oh my gosh, I need to be kind of a Zen master superhuman of myself. Yeah. How do I do that? And is that really the ask? No, and it's not possible. (laughs) Um, And I've worked with a lot of Zen masters and it's not possible for them. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, because right. then right. masters have bodies too. Yeah. So the body does this regardless of how like quote enlightened or practiced you are. The difference is you you can feel it and you've you've developed a way to respond to it. It's the really the big part here. I want everyone to hear. It's not about not getting triggered. And it's okay. going to sound like that. We're all going to take like the takeaway is going to be like, okay, I have to get to a place where nothing bothers me. Right. Not, not possible. That's not the point here. It's about when something bothers me, do I leave myself to attach it to you to fix? Or do I sit within myself, get some clarity, then bring it to you to share it with you? Mm. That thing you said, I just need you to know, I have a real sensitivity around that word because for a long time, dot mm. to dot to dot, it doesn't feel good in my body. That is so different than coming to you and being like, you know, you're phobic or mm -hmm. you're red or you're blue, you know, whatever we're going to call somebody. Yeah. It, when I make you and your character based on something that came up in me, yeah. I don't even share myself with you. I'm just making it about you. So right. again, no connection. Then how many people can just sit there with open arms? I receive your anger toward me. No. Right. So yeah. it's, it's about feeling it and responding to it yourself first and then sharing that with the other. That's all this is about. Right. So in other words, it's, it's, it's more bite size. It's, Much you know, there's one size. thing, there's one thing you're triggered by. Just practice it when it's too hot, take a break. You know, mm -hmm. you're still in control, very much in control. Yeah. Um, so, uh, in, in the, in the last bit of time that we have, I wondered if you could help us identify other tips, strategies, and I'll kick it off because I sat in your breakout at the convention and I sat in your breakout in the convention and the chairs had backs to them. Hmm. And you, you told us if you're having a difficult conversation with someone or you're getting ready to check to see if your chair is comfortable, mm -hmm. can, can they sit back? Because if you're not sitting back, if your body's not supported, you're introducing a challenge. Can mm -hmm. you say more about that? And then please tell us about more of these bite-sized things mm. that we can also take with us absolutely so everyone can try this right now and you'll feel exactly what i'm going to say so sit in whatever your chair you're in and sit without your back touching mm. and just notice the amount of tension that that takes you have to constrict a lot of different muscles to like erect the spine and hold yourself up it's not a bad thing but that doesn't create a sense of ease in the body so if I'm d speaking with someone about something I, I know I'm going to disagree with, or I might, this isn't a very supportive posture. Now, the moment we sit back, just feel that. Yeah, you just took a breath. Like, feel. There's so much space that opens up in the, for me in my shoulders, my chest, my mm -hmm. belly, my breath. When I'm Even when the head goes back, especially. But when my back can be supported... There's this feeling that, okay, my, my nervous system actually starts to downregulate a little bit, which just mm. means less adrenaline, less blood pressure, less, you know, em emotional overwhelm. And I have a little more clarity to take in where I am. Mm. I did a demo with two people th with the one you were in, and we didn't even go into context. But these two people looking at each other, having different beliefs, already felt tense just looking at each other. Mm -hmm. And all we did, we didn't go into context, we didn't go into meaning, we didn't even talk barely we started with this can you just feel the back of the seat and as they started to do that i remember that one person's shoulder went down mm -hmm. and i looked at the other person and said how does it feel to see that their shoulder went down and she's like weirdly enough my stomach feels more relaxed hmm. and i looked at him and i'm like how does it feel to know that her stomach's more relaxed and he's like i can breathe now and so there was this moment where these bodies do this, like, like I was saying earlier, wow. somatic empathy bodies mirror what they see. So if I'm sitting in front of someone completely tense, looking at them, taking in their ideas, which are against me, let's say they're going to tense up in front of me in response subconsciously. This is somatic and automatic. So if I'm focused on my body, taking breaths, taking pauses before I speak, feeling my back resting, the ease from my body gets mirrored in their body and then, we and then let's start... state the obvious the ideas you're talking about will also relax yes because think about what you just said even that statement the ideas you talk about will relax where do they relax in your body yeah. ideas yeah. are just floating you know the body responds to them so if i'm in a restful state my ideas and your ideas especially are going to land an arrested body instead of a constricted body 
So that's one of the easiest, simplest things next to eliminating or, or pulling away some caffeine. Because if you are highly caffeinated, especially if you're skipping meals and throw the caffeine out the window, just skipping meals and your blood sugar dropping, that creates an adrenal response. So just understanding that food and nutrition will actually create a biology that gives you capacity for these things will, will gift you the ability to show up to these situations without so much tension. Yeah, no, that's great. And it makes me think of the internet. We all lose our bodies online. All the conversations and disagreements have no embodiment whatsoever. So no wonder that when we do get into conversations, even in person, we ignore our bodies. We were doing it already. Mm -hmm. already. (laughs) It's just the default. So one one of the places uh, that I found a lot of hope in your workshop toward the end, um, somebody was saying, I think something basically around, wait a minute, what if I come, you know, ready to try to be more conscious about what's going on in my Mm. body, ready to be responsible for my own reactions. But the other person doesn't. Don't I need to get them to agree with this method? (laughs) Or like, you know, to agree to be curious and to soften their bodies so they can be open. And and I think you said something like, no, it only takes one. So can you say something to that? I think it's Yeah, so there's there's a a term, co-regulation and co-dysregulation. Co-regulation means my body feels a sense of ease with your body. Co-dysregulation, my body feels a sense of stress with your body. This is all somatic and subconscious. You don't even have to speak it. Your bodies will just feel this. Like you and I looking at each other, our bodies already have so many things happening just from looking at each other without knowing it, right? Mm -hmm. So this is why it takes one. Notice how it feels in your body when I just sit back. Oh, I want to sit back. Immediately, I just did it. Yeah. You feel that? Your yeah. body mirrors my body, so it only okay. takes one. So you don't have to teach anybody, you don't have to rely on them. You do it in yourself, and other bodies will respond. There you go. That's it. <laughs> you can work on yourself. And and that does more than affect yourself. That's right. And that, that seems like such a radical and I think very hopeful idea. And and hopefully our, our listeners are feeling their own power here. I'm so yeah. excited for your listeners to hear this because we don't talk about this in the political realms. We don't. No, we just don't <laughs> no. talk about it. And the amount of people that came up to me at the at convention saying, I've never had the permission to put trauma with politics. And these were largely reds. I couldn't believe it. I, I didn't have permission. And they were so open and it all made sense suddenly. So I love yeah. that we're creating this conversation where we can bring these these two things together. Yeah, absolutely. And the idea of if you find safety within yourself, how much less stressful does the world become? Could we become more creative mm-hmm. when we address the giant, very real challenges facing us in our politics? I mean, That's it, exactly it's, right. you know, the maybe, right? The clouds part and you see some yeah, sunshine. We do. So, and, and creative is a good word for it because you're not fighting anymore. You're getting curious. Right. And through that, you get to actually be really creative. And how can we make this work for all of us? Right. And it's freeing ourselves from the trauma response. Fight, flight. What was the third one? Freeze and fawn. Freeze and then fawn. Fascinating. There's another F, F word for you. Yeah, the fifth one. Um, <laughs> well, Luis, it was an absolute delight, as always. Thank you so much for bringing your wisdom and your experience to all this. And I'm sure this won't be the last conversation uh, you and I have. Thank you, my friend. It's so good to see you. <laughs> Thank you. That's the end of today's episode. Now let's take a moment to notice where we feel the episode in our bodies. Close your eyes. Take a breath. And let whatever wants to come up, come up. And remember, those sensations hold the wisdom that we're looking for. If you want to go deeper, visit holisticlifenavigation.com. Hello, everybody. It is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, 
are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape like some of you have told me it is and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma, nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there.